take your Bibles with me. Let's find the book of Jonah. You ought not have any problems finding Jonah. I know last week we were in Obadiah. Many of you said never heard a sermon from Obadiah. Probably every one of you have heard a sermon or lesson from the book of Jonah. I'm sure that Jonah is the most popular of the 12 minor prophets. And why is that? Why is there not another prophet that is more popular? Well, Jonah is the only one of the 12 minor prophets that's written in a narrative form. It's written as a story. It's a true story, but it's written as a narrative. And we all like narratives. People like narratives. You do and I do as well. So Jonah is the most popular. Another reason why Jonah may be the most popular is the elephant in the room or from Jonah's perspective, the fish in the room. There's a, there's a big fish in the book of Jonah, but Jonah's not about a big fish. One of my pastor friends tells a story about how his daughter told him before bedtime, Daddy, I want to read about Jonah who swallowed the fish. He said, well, honey, it was the fish who swallowed Jonah. You know, a lot of us swallow fish, don't we? You probably ate some fish over the weekend. A lot of people swallow fish. Not very many people have been swallowed by a fish, right? Yeah, there are some true historical accounts of creatures like this one in Jonah who have swallowed people. You can go research that and see. There are some accounts of this happening, not just to Jonah, but others as well. Uh, But Jonah's not about a big fish. Jonah's not about Jonah. Jonah is about a big God with a big heart, a God with a huge heart. It's about big compassion and big mercy and God's big heart. So we're continuing walking through 12 Minor Prophets. We're starting today the second quarter of this uh, series called The Twelfth Man. I got a picture text to me this week. I think we have a picture of a friend of mine in Israel who has his Twelfth Man towel with him on Mount Carmel. Look at there. That's pretty cool. And it's been all over the world these towels have. So keep sending me those pics. I love seeing them. Uh, We're entering into the second quarter. Like I said, Jonah begins kind of the second quarter of these Minor Prophets. And so we're going to be in this uh, message today entitled The Backward Prophet because Jonah does everything backwards. He's the only one of the 12 minor prophets that disobeyed God. The only one who rebelled against God. When he was called to go prophesy, Jonah rebels. He disobeys. He does everything backwards. He is the backward prophet. If Amos is known as the country boy, backwoods prophet, then Jonah is known as a rebellious, backward prophet. And so, uh, if you'll notice... The very last verse in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. This is a question that that invites you and I into the narrative. Okay, very important question. Last verse in the book. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? What a great question. God is inviting you and I into this narrative. I'll speak more to that in a moment. But to begin, I want to share with you the big overarching takeaway for the day. And, it's the, and this is good news, folks. This is such good news. God responds to repentant hearts. Isn't that good news? That's good news for us in the room. That's good news for everybody live streaming with us this morning. That's good news for those who are watching us via television this morning. This is 
good news, that God responds to repentant hearts. And you're going to see this in chapter 1. You're going to see this in chapter 2. You're going to see this in chapter 3. You're going to be invited to be a part of this in chapter 4. So chapter 1, we see that God responds to uh, the sailors' repentant hearts. Chapter 2, God responds to Jonah's repentant heart. Chapter 3, God responds to Nineveh's, the Ninevites' repentant hearts. And chapter 4, again, we'll be, we'll be invited to join this narrative. But I don't want you to take my word for it that God responds to repentant hearts. So I want to point you to four pieces of evidence in this book. We're going to walk through the whole book. And there are four proofs that I want to point you to. Chapter 1 is the first one, and it reads this way. God's love won't let you go. (laughs) Boy, that's good news. God's love will not let you go. God would not let Jonah go. He would not let go of him. God's love won't let you go. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. There's a couple of things here. First of all, this is not the first time we see Jonah. You can go to 2 Kings chapter 14 and read about Jonah, son of Amittai, who prophesied to the king and said, hey, God wants to expand our borders. And unprecedentedly, Israel's borders were expanded in 2 Kings chapter 14, and Jonah was a national hero in 2 Kings. But you get to Jonah, and he is a big fat zero. In Jonah chapter 1. Because the word of the Lord comes to him, go to Nineveh, that great evil city, and preach against it. See, God's not saying, you know what, Nineveh's not that bad. They're not that evil. They're not that wicked and ruthless. No, God doesn't dismiss their evil and ruthlessness. He doesn't do that. He says, I want you to go preach against that evil. He recognizes it. He says, but I want you to go and preach against it. And look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. See, here's, here's what's happening in Jonah's heart. Here's what happening, hap, is happening in your heart and my heart. That is this. We are okay with God's compassion so long as <laughs> he directs it toward us. But the moment God directs his compassion toward our enemies, nah, I'm out, God. I'm out. Nineveh, Nineveh is Israel's enemy. Ruth, we're going to find out how awful of a, of, of a nation Nineveh was when we get to Nahum. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. But, I mean, brutal, brutal people. And God has told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, you know what? No, thank you, God. I'm going to flee away from your presence. And then watch this pattern. He went down to Joppa. Somebody say down. Come on, church, say down. And this is the whole thing that Jonah does. He goes down, down, down. I mean, just, just look at it. Verse 3, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away. Same idea here. He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners, these seafarers, these sailors, were afraid. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, you can imagine this must have been some quite, a, quite a hurricane if professional sailors are afraid. I mean, this is what they do for a living. They see winds and storms all the time, and they're terrified. And so they're throwing everything off the ship, trying to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone, there it is again, he goes down, down in the other part of the ship. 
he laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So here's the picture. The sailors are going down to destruction. Their ship's about to be broken up. They're going down. The prophet is asleep. Our world is going to hell. All the while the church is asleep. Completely asleep. The world's going to hell, we're going to sleep. And it breaks God's heart. So much so that he does not let Jonah go. He's not going to let Jonah go. In fact, the, the, the wind that was hurled upon the sea, this t- mighty tempest wind, this is not God punishing Jonah. This is God's saving grace directed toward Jonah. He wants to bring him back to himself. He's trying to get his attention. So don't listen. Disobedience is always a step in the wrong direction. So when you're living a disobedient life, Don't be surprised that there are some great winds that are hurled upon you. Not to punish you, but to get you back to God. God knows exactly what it takes to bring you back to Him. And He'll use whatever it takes. So don't look at it as punishment. It is God's saving grace. Look at verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, uh, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So that's surprising, isn't it? They said to him, tell us. I mean, th- this is what the world is saying to us, church. This is what Chattanooga is saying to us. Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> Share with us the gospel. Tell us. Tell us, look what the sailor said, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And then look at these rapid fire questions. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? Man, they're just firing away, aren't they? And he, he can't answer them fast enough. Say to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Notice the only question he didn't answer. <laughs> What's your occupation? He wasn't about to tell them. <laughs> I'm a prophet. <laughs> I'm supposed to tell you the truth. He's not about to tell them that. He tells them, I'm, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? This is what the world is saying. As you see this at Pentecost, Peter preaches and they say, what must we do? What shall we do to be rescued? What shall we do to be saved? Tell us, tell us. And here's such a picture of the world. He tells them, look what he says to them. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. This is the truth. If you pick me up, if you throw me into the sea, the sea will die down. So did they pick him up and throw him into the sea? No, they didn't. Not initially. Notice what they do. This is so us. This is so us. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get there on their own. They're trying to get to safety on their own. They're trying to rescue themselves. They're trying to save themselves. They don't want to at all acknowledge this Lord, this God, who has already provided the way of salvation. See, Jonah being thrown into the sea is the same picture of Jesus being hurled upon the cross. 
Jesus upon the cross is the only way that you and I can be saved. The only way that we can be rescued is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's how we're saved. Yet we are so stubborn that we try to work our way to God. I got a better way. I'm going to find my own way. I appreciate that, but I can row my way back to the Father. No, you can't. You can't. You can't work hard enough, be good enough. It's impossible. Jesus has done it for us. It's already done. Just as Jonah would be thrown into the sea and the sailors would be saved, Christ is thrown upon the cross so that the sea of humanity might be saved. If we will look to him and believe and live. And so after trying to work their way back, Verse 14, they call out to the Lord, O Lord, which this is a confession right here. This is a picture of their, their repenting right here. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We see this idea of repentance. These guys are repenting. God responds. The sea quiets down. Listen, the Lord would not let Jonah go. His love was too big to let Jonah go. God's love is too big to let you go. He loves you so much that he will not let you go. Secondly, here's another proof that God responds to repentant hearts. It's in chapter 2. Well, the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2. That is this. God alone saves who he wants when he wants. God alone, he decides who he's going to save when he wants to save them. That's, that's, salvation belongs to the Lord. This whole idea of salvation belongs to him. Look at the end of chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is a fish. It's not a whale. It's an aquatic beast. It's a sea creature of some sort that swallows up Jonah. God could have created it right then. He could have appointed it right then. However God did it, he did it. There was a fish that swallowed up Jonah. This fish is not to punish Jonah. This is not a punishment for Jonah. This fish saved Jonah's life. It saved him. And so chapter 2 is a prayer of thanksgiving. Jonah is not praying, God, get me out of this fish. Jonah is praying, thank you, God, for this fish. This fish has saved me. Thank you, Lord, for the fish. That's what he's praying in chapter 2. Look at it with me. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from where? From the belly of the what? The fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. You and I both need to know this today. You need to know and you need to understand that you can cry out to the Lord right now, wherever you are, in your disbelief, in your doubt, in your sin, in your depression, in your affliction, in your trouble, you can cry out to the Lord right now, wherever you are, and He hears you right now. Jonah has sunk to the depths. I mean, you can't get any deeper than the roots of the mountains, okay? You can't. You can't. And that's where Jonah is. Let's, let's, it's right here. I'm not making it up. It's right here. He said, I called out to the Lord out of my stress. He answered me. Well, where was he? Verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I was driven away from your sight. So he's sinking, okay? 
Again, I, I will look upon your holy temple. The water's closed in over me. If you're claustrophobic, this is not a good passage for you. It's just not. I mean, look, 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 look at this. This is, uh, who is pretty tough. The water's closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up. Somebody say up. Oh, Jonah is on a journey to go down to Joppa and down into the ship and lay down and go to sleep. Then he's thrown into the sea and he's going down into the waters and down to the depths where the roots of the mountains are. And as he's going down, 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 the Lord brings him up. He brings him up. His love, he's not going to let go of Jonah. His love won't let him go. God alone decides. He alone. Saves who he wants, when he wants. And so we read in verse 6 that the Lord brought him up. from. Is that not our testimony, church? Is that not your testimony, that God brought your life up from the pit? Well, that's mine. He brought my life up. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who, and, and here, not only is the fish Jonah's salvation, not only does it save Jonah, Jonah gets a good education here in this fish. He is schooled by this fish. Look at verse 7 and 8. When I'm alive, same way I pray the Lord of the holy temple. Look at verse 8. Those who pray to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I vowed I'll pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation doesn't belong to Jonah. Doesn't belong to Israel. Salvation is not for America alone, church. It's not. It's not for you alone. It's not for me alone. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Him. And then God uses the fish as transportation. The first Uber is this fish. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah. Out upon the dry land. Okay, you, you do an intense word study in Hebrew on the word vomit. Okay, I studied it for hours this week. And vomit means vomit. That's what it means. He vomited him up upon the dry land. And God is oh so gracious because that fish has another end, does it not? Yes, it does. You say, well, pastor, do you really believe this? Like, do you really believe that a fish swallowed a man? I mean, do you really, like, do you take this literally? It, surely it's just allegory, or do you take it, I absolutely take it literally. A hundred percent, I take it literally. In fact, here's, there's so much evidence for this anyway. In the book of Jonah, there's some evidence. If you look at verse 17, the fish is only mentioned, what, three times? Twice in 17, chapter 1, once in Chapter 2, verse 10, maybe. If any more than that, not much more than that. And if you've ever been around people who fish, fishermen, I love to fish. I like fishing. And if you've ever been around a fisherman and heard his fishing story, it, it, it tends to, uh, to grow, right? There's a lot of elaboration and details, and it's puffed up. But here, the greatest fishing story in, in the history of humanity is just stated as a fact. There's no details. There's no fluff. I mean, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's no 
fluff. It's just matter of fact. Kind of like Jonah got up and ate breakfast. I mean, like, like it's so sure that it happened, we're just going to put it as a matter of fact. But also, another reason I believe that this is completely 100% true and historical and literal is because Jesus believed it. And if Jesus believed it, maybe we ought to believe it too. In fact, Jesus points to this account in Matthew 12 to speak of his own departure and his own gospel. He says it like this in Matthew 12, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. His burial, his death. So listen, if you, don't, if you will not take Jonah literally, then you can't believe anything else in the Bible. N- nothing else. So absolutely, I believe a fish, a sea creature, swallowed a prophet that was rebelling and disobeying God. Absolutely. Because God knew exactly what it would take to get Jonah back to him. And the Son of Man, just as Jonah, will be three nights and three days in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In other words, Christ has come with a message not just for the Ninevites. The gospel is for every nation, tribe, language, and people. That Christ has died. He has given his life for us. He has laid down his life. He's breathed his last. They buried him. He rose from the dead to give life right now and eternal. This is a good, good gospel and good news for every tribe, language, nation, and people. So why didn't God just let Jonah die in the sea? You know why? Because God alone saves who he wants when he wants. Why didn't God just let the Ninevites die? God alone saves who he wants when he wants. Why, why didn't God just let Saul the assassin die? Why did he transform him into Paul the apostle? Because God saves who he wants when he wants. Why would God let Ruth and Rahab into the lineage of Christ? Because God saves who he wants when he wants. Why did God save this 21-year-old selfish, wicked sinner in March of 1995 because God saves who he wants when he wants. That's who our God is. His heart is huge. We have no idea how big our God's heart is. We have no idea. He has a huge heart for Nineveh, for you, for me, for Jonah, and for all the nations. This is our God. Number three, God's heart longs to give us and them another chance. See, we're okay if God's compassion is directed to us, but not so much to them. (laughs) Or God gives us another chance, but not so much to them, whoever the thems are in your heart and life. But God, his heart longs to give all of us another chance. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Somebody say second time. You, You ever tell your children, you mind me the first time? Don't you make me say it twice. Not a second time. The first time. God doesn't do that. He doesn't just zap Jonah away. The, the word a second. Praise God for the second time. Praise God for another chance and another chance and another one. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. The message I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Uh, great in its evil. Great in its prosperity. Great in its wickedness. But also great... God had a great big heart for Nineveh as well. Three days' journey in breath, Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey, he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's not a 
that's just a very pointed, direct message. That's it. That's all he said. And the people of Nineveh believed God. That is mirror image of Genesis 15, verse 6. And Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him as righteousness. Nineveh believed God. And it was counted unto them as righteousness. And those their repentance. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the grace of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands." And then verse 9 is such an indictment on us, church. Look at verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Do you know who knew in this situation? (laughs) The question is, who knows if God will relent? Guess who knew? Jonah knew. You can go to chapter 4 and see what Jonah says. I knew that you were a gracious God, that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in stuff. Jonah knew the whole time. Jonah knew that if he preached, God would be compassionate toward them and not destroy them. Church, we know. We can no longer say we don't know. We're on this side of the cross. We know. We know the gospel. We know that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, and there's no one too lost to be saved. We know this. And yet, like Jonah, we keep it to ourselves. Who knows? We know. And we should tell. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. Somebody say them. He did, he did not, he, listen, he did not relent from the disaster. He relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them. But please understand, when you look to Calvary, when you look at the cross, you have to understand that is the full wrath of Almighty God. Not relenting from the disaster. No, he took the disaster and he hurled it upon his only begotten son. The disaster do Nineveh. The disaster do you, the disaster do me. He took it and hurled it upon his son. And Jesus took the wrath of every tribe, nation, language, and people. And he died taking it to the grave, overcoming it by being raised from the dead to give us life. So God did not relent from the disaster completely. He did to them on this particular occasion. And he does to you and me right now because we all just deserve to be destroyed. But God pitied us like he pitied Nineveh. God's heart longs to give us. He desires to give us another chance, another chance, and another chance. And here's the good news. Generally speaking, people respond to good news. Do you know this? Friday was a tough day, wasn't it? Man, I mean, the whole city of Chattanooga just shut down. Just shut. Do we rely on water or what? It just shut down the whole city. Right now, I got a call early on Friday while he said, hey, we're going to have to turn the AC off here at the church because we use water to cool the the building, so we don't have water, we can't have AC, so he cut it all off as I was writing out my manuscript for today, and 
We use water for so much. We, we never think about how much we need and use water. I mean, just water main break, just shut it down. Uh, Tanya is, volunteers the PTA for Big Ridge, and they had Pizza Friday on Friday. Maybe you heard about this. It made the news, Channel 3 News. I think it was Channel 3. Uh, but, but Pizza Friday, where they ordered almost 500 pizzas uh, for students to get a personal pan pizza on Friday. And so the order was put in, of course, for Pizza Hut to be able to make all these pizzas. And they made them all, and they had them ready. But then mid-morning on Friday, school's dismissed. Pizza Friday's over with. No more Pizza Friday. So Tanya had to call Pizza Hut on Friday the 13th. She had to call Pizza Hut on Friday the 13th and speak to their manager whose name, you're not going to believe this, but it's true, whose name is Jason. She had to talk to Jason on Friday the 13th. What? Yes, had to call him and say, hey, no more pizzas today. We're going to do it Monday. Can you do it Monday? Yeah, I can do it Monday, but I've got almost 400-something pizzas. How am I going to get rid of them? So went, to, went posted on, on social media, and it was good news. $2.50 personal pan pizza, and they were selling like hotcakes. Wow, people respond to good news. That's good news to get a pizza for $2.50, right? That's good news. They respond. People respond to good news. Church, we have good news. It's not bad news. I know it's not politically correct. I get that. I know we use excuses like, well, we can't share it at work or school because we'll get in trouble. This is good news, and we have it. And we, like Paul said, I'm, Paul was compelled to share it. Because of the love of Christ, he was compelled. And I'm praying that, church, we would be compelled by the compassion of our God. When somebody says, who knows, we'll say, I know. When somebody says, tell us, I'll say, okay, I'll tell you. We know. Number four, last one here, last one. Uh, chapter four, uh, how do we know that God responds to repentant hearts? Here's how we know this. Our biggest hurdle is our small hearts. See, we think our biggest hurdle in sharing the gospel is fear, or we think it's, uh, we think it's being politically correct, or getting in trouble, or not offend somebody. None of that is our biggest barrier. Our biggest barrier all boils down to our heart. We have small hearts. We have small hearts that are compassionate toward people like us, that look like us, that are in our age group. We see that even in the church. People are compassionate for a certain group of people because that's, that's who they are. That's like them, right? We see it in the church. Uh, senior adults will be compassionate for senior adults. Students will be compassionate for students, right? And so we see that. We, we, uh, media adults will be compassionate for media adults, Parents will be passionate about parents, and single folk will be compassionate about single folk, and we see, we see it all the time. And so our hearts are so small, yet our God's heart is huge. His, he has a huge heart for the nations. He has a huge heart for all peoples. And we, chapter 4, this is what chapter 4 is about. It's not about a worm or a plant or a wind. It's about a heart, a big Heart, And so let me show you what I mean. Look at chapter 4. Uh, our biggest hurdle is our small hearts. Look at God's heart here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, it's not this, is this not what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. 
Jonah is angry that God is slow to anger. (laughs) He's mad that God isn't mad. Isn't that crazy? And so he says, Lord, let me die. And I want you to see what God does. This is how, I'm telling you, we have no idea how big, our God, how big God's heart is. God didn't kill him right there. He didn't zap him. He posed a question to him. Do you do well to be angry? See, this makes me think of the older son and the prodigal son story. That God only had compassion on the younger son. He had compassion on the older son who went out from the party, didn't want anything to do with this one who was lost being found and and the father throwing a party for him. He didn't want anything to do with that. So he went outside and he stayed outside. Here you see in verse 5 that Jonah went out of the city. He's going out of the city. Now there his revival has broken out in the city. I mean, this is a preacher's dream. Jonah took a very hard message and preached to the hardest audience he could preach to and every one of them repented. it, It was a revival like the world had never seen before. A preacher would be dancing, something like that. Even a Baptist preacher would dance over something like that. But Jonah's so angry that he he don't want any part of it. He leaves the city. And God is saying, not only do I have compassion on Nineveh, I've got compassion on Jonah. That's how big our our God's heart is. And so he's not going to let Jonah get away. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it. In the shades, he should see what will become of the city. Jonah's more concerned about his comfort than he is people. And now the Lord God appointed a plant. So God's appointing all this. And it made, uh, it, made it come up over Jonah Then it might uh, be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Remember, Jonah's only, only concerned about his comfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came, up the next day, God appointed a worm. It attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Probably not a guy you want to marry, ladies. I mean, he gets so angry about a plant and nothing else. I mean, and he said, yes, I'll do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant which you did not labor, nor did make it grow, which came into being in the night, perished the night. And here's the question. And should, not I, should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? See, God cares about people. People matter to God. They should matter to us. But what matters to us more than people are our comforts. See, we care more about Chick-fil-A than we do about the protesters at Chick-fil-A. We don't care about people. We care about our comfort about people like us. We care about the us's, not the them's. We're okay if God gives us grace and compassion, but not so okay with it when he does it to them, especially if he asks us to take it to them. No, thank you, God. So these 120,000 persons you don't know, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know if this is right or this is left or this is left or this. They have no idea. And this is... Oh, I love the Word of God. We see this at the cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they what? They, they what? They know not what they do. They, they don't know their left hand from their right hand. They don't know what they're doing. You, you know what God is saying? You know what Jesus is saying to you? Here, here's what happened on the cross. When, when the Lord Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he's talking about us. Jesus pitied you. He pitied you just like God pitied Nineveh. Same way. Nineveh didn't know they're right here from them. You and I don't know what we do. And so Jesus on the cross pitied us so that we can go and pity them. 
And so the question here at the end of Jonah is an invitation for us to come into the narrative. It's an invitation for us to search our own hearts and to ask the question, who are our Ninevites? Who are the people that we would say to God, God, it doesn't matter if I share the gospel with them. They're too far gone. They're too lost. They're too bad. They're not going to believe anyway, so there's no point in me sharing it with them. They're not going to believe. Who are the people that you would say are too lost or too bad to receive the grace of God and to believe this good gospel? Who are your Ninevites? Who are the people that you would say are undeserving of God's grace, undeserving of God's compassion? Is it dark people? Are dark people your Ninevites? Are white people your Ninevites? Are rich people your Ninevites? Are poor people your Ninevites? Are Republicans your Ninevites? Or Democrats, liberals, or conservatives, left or right? Are, are your Ninevites homosexuals or immigrants? Who, who are your Ninevites? Here's what I want you to do. On the back of this worship guide, there's a heart at the bottom. I want you to cut this heart out or tear this heart out. And this is just for you. Don't let anybody else see this. But I want you to write down either a person's name, somebody that you say they're too lost, they're too bad to believe God. They're just, they're too far gone. They're beyond the reach of God's grace. Write their name there. Or a group of people that you say don't deserve God's grace. Write their names here or the people there. And I want you to take this and put it in your Bible, put it in your journal, put it somewhere where you get alone with the Lord and you beg Him to grow your heart and to give you the compassion that He has for every tribe, every language, every nation, and every people. This is the challenge to you, church, to take this heart, fill it out, stick it somewhere where God can grow your heart for the people in that heart. Ask God to help you do that. He'll do it, I promise you. He responds to repentant hearts. Last thing I want to say is this. For every unbeliever in the room, for all of us in the room, maybe you've never trusted Christ, maybe you have. But here's a good reminder for those that haven't. Here's an invitation for those of you who have not. Or a reminder for those of you who have. Look at the word Nineveh in verse 11. You can take that word out and put your name in there. And should I not pity Sam, that great sinner? Or should I not pity your name, that great sinner? See, while we were Ninevites, while we were enemies of God, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ had pity on us. We are the Ninevites here. That's who we are. And Christ has pitied us so that we can go and pity someone else. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, let me encourage you today. Uh, you say, well, I'm too far gone. I've messed up too much. I've blown it again. I'm, I'm undeserving of his grace. Hey, we're all undeserving of his grace. That's the great thing about grace. It's unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. So receive it today. Open your heart and invite Christ in. We'll have some ministers down front to help you with any decision you might have to trust Christ today or join our church today or say, hey, I want to make this public with baptism or, man, I, I need to lay my Ninevites on this altar today and pray that God will grow my heart. Whatever it is, church, it's time to respond, to have a repentant heart because God's going to respond. So let's stand together.